1: Hello, my friends.
2: Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical backward ass ideals that we have here in the United States. This is episode 171 of American Sex Podcast, and I'm Sunny Megatron. My co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg, and we're both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts, too, that just so happen to be non-monogamously married to each other. Our guests this week are the amazing Stefanos and Shay, and we talk about pleasure education, the things that we learn about sex and kink. Stefanos and Shay are a vivacious, unconventional DS couple whose entertaining, information packed classes have been called, quote, better than a Vegas act. They identify as pansexual, polyamorous, play sluts, purveyors of perversion, and alliteration fetishists. In between traveling internationally to present and perform, they're based in San Francisco, where they've hosted events including BENT, which is the Bay Area's biggest dungeon party, Twisted Windows, Kink.com's The Upper Floor, Threshold, and Bondage a Go-Go, where they were crowned king and queen of perverts prom in 2006. They co-edited and authored the brand new book, Creating Captivating Classes, a guide for kink, sexuality, and relationship presenters, which includes interviews with over a dozen rock star educators. And that book? that book is the impetus for this conversation. And yes, the the book is freaking fabulous. It contains contributions from a bunch of well-known pleasure educators like Midori, uh, Lee Harrington, me and Ken, Princess Callie, a bunch more. So, okay, when it comes to education and, you know, credentialing or training for educators in sex and relationship or BDSM subjects, There are zero standards and very few credentialing institutions, and that makes it very difficult for those who are teachers or interested in becoming teachers to get the proper training and develop best practices. It also makes it really difficult for people taking these classes to vet their educators. And I got to throw in there that sometimes the pleasure educators with all of the fancy letters behind their names, that doesn't guarantee that they're always the best. Sometimes it's the self-taught educators that really dazzle. But all of this pertains more to general sex education. When we're talking about kink or BDSM, there isn't a certificate or a degree you can get. You can't be a certified kink educator. Those types of credentials just don't exist. In other words, credentials aren't a foolproof way to tell if someone's a good instructor. But also, during this pandemic, so many people are turning to social media for intimacy education, and there are a whole sea of people calling themselves educators. But how do we know they're legit, whether we're looking for credentials or just Evaluating their teaching ability? How do we know they're delivering accurate information and not putting themselves in leadership positions for ulterior, unethical motives? And on the flip side, how can we become one of these people? Well, Stefano Sinchay put all of this information in one place in creating captivating classes. And it's even been praised as one of the most well rounded books about being an educator out there even by academics who have no interest in the subject of sexuality, well, at least not in their professional life. So in the first half of our conversation, we get into the -the behind-the-scenes power imbalances in pleasure-based teaching, how things like lack of compensation, exploitation by event organizers, how those things interplay with the lack of diversity, or putting the spotlight on people that may not have the best ethics and Also, what you can do about that, whether you're an educator or a student. The second half of our conversation, we really dive into what makes a good educator. You know, as a presenter, what can you strive for? And as a student, What are some of the red flags or green flags that you can look for from people who are running classes and workshops? It doesn't matter what side of the classroom that you're on, whether you're a student or a presenter, this conversation is packed with a lot of very useful information. But of course, before we hit that classroom, let's wash our balls, which is housekeeping here on American Sex. First, this is the last week you're going to be able to access the free replay of the video conversation I recently had with Midori for her Consent Dojo series with shibaristudies.com about factors that skew consent. Yeah, you got about another week, so catch it before it's gone. Secondly, if you're a mental health professional, a care provider like a therapist, clinician, coach, etc., anyone in a care profession who sees kinky clients – Don't miss the class I'm teaching this. Friday for K-PAC, that's Kink and Poly-Aware Chicago Therapists, on the Psychological Appeal of Kink, that's Friday, October 15th. It is a virtual class open to people in all locations, but remember, this class is intended for therapists, educators, coaches, and other care professionals who work with kinky or kink-curious clients, and it's going to be presented from a clinical or professional perspective. It's worth two continuing education points and it's also open to students free. So if you're a civilian and you're like, but this sounds really cool. Yeah, well, this is a professional seminar not intended for general audience. I am designing a version of this class For personal and partnered exploration. It's coming up real soon. So if you want to be notified when that workshop is scheduled, you know I'm going to be announcing it here and on all my social media, or you can sign up for my newsletter so it hits your inbox as soon as it's announced. And if you're wondering where that link is or any of the other links that we mention in this episode, head to the show notes. Go to AmericanSexPodcast.com and search for episode 171, or on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now, just go to the episode description and it's all right there. You'll also find the link to our Sex and Kink Positive Discord server. We'd love for you to join and a ton of discount codes and links and helpful things, not only for the sponsors of this episode, but a lot more too. You'll also find the link to our Patreon page where you can listen right now to the bonus audio that Stefanos told us an an amazing story about his very early days in porn. Also, on our Patreon, if you become a member, you're going to get stuff too. I'm going to send you American Sex Podcast stickers in the mail. You get bonus audio from a bunch of different guests, extra full-length episodes, all our episodes early, and a bunch of other stuff. Okay, so that's it. These balls are now clean Get ready for the ins and outs of pleasure education, both for presenters and for students with Stefanos and Shay. I bought a copy from Amazon because I wanted it like soon and I wanted to support you <laughs> at like full retail price. Aww, it is so thick. I know it it's, it's a chunk
1: boy. That it's, is a book. That's a
2: book. <laughs> Damn. And like the font is small too. Like it's like sometimes you get a thick book and you open it and it's like print for somebody who's, you know has really bad eyesight but like this is jam-packed with some info So, cool.
0: well I just want to tell you as someone whose eyesight is going because I'm not as young as I was um, I really wanted it in a bigger font but at 469 pages I was yeah. like we, we really can't <laughs> do that <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, it's the Stephanos the, and Shea wrote War and Peace.
2: It's Tink <laughs> un- <laughs> education dictionary. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and, and are we rolling right now? Buddy? We are rolling. Okay, and I'm thinking, sure. even though this was kind of our pre-conversation, can we just make this the lead into our conversation? Let's Did we do start it. already? Yeah. Okay. So, have your I, consent? I have
3: some really important other world news <laughs> other than class of sex and anything about any of the speakers today. Uh, there's very important San Francisco news today. Does anybody know the name Gary Francis Post?
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you do and do you know who it is no that's the problem i have to the zodiac killer they just identified him oh Oh, wow i missed that (laughs) bit of news last
3: three or four hours they just announced that the zodiac killer who killed uh anywhere between like officially five up to 37 people in san francisco starting in 67 or 68 was just uncovered with the help of people that cracked his cipher but they actually identified the actual dude and it's he passed away in 2018 uh, so rotten hell, Gary Francis Post. Yay!
2: Okay. But yeah, also, wow. by the time all the listeners hear this, it'll be old news. They'll be like, "Yeah, we know." Oh, and yeah. so for the, the our li- younger the listeners, the Lifetime made-for-TV movie will like, be like
0: out. apparently, I read a headline or something because that name is familiar when it shouldn't have been. But okay.
2: You- it's funny because he came in, he said, he's like, do you know the name, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know the name, but it sounds like either a serial killer or someone who tried to assassinate a president. And he's like, wow, you're good. It's yes. yeah, <laughs> three names like that. Three names, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's got to
0: be.
3: Yeah, yeah
2: Totally okay so um (laughs) you're amazing you're fucking you both of you are fucking amazing uh and we have wanted to have you on the podcast for a while like we've had you on our live stream we've had i don't know why this hasn't happened earlier and it definitely will happen again um but the impetus for this is the book that y'all just wrote that is amazing we were just talking about how thick it is It's, it's a thick thick book, and it's called Creating Captivating <laughs> I Classes. I prefer to call it
3: girthy. Girthy. It's girthy. girthy. girthy it's a girthy
2: book. book with a little bit of a curve, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I prefer chonky.
1: It's, it's a chonky boy. It is chonky. Is this intentionally
3: an impact item also? I'm just curious, because
1: <laughs>
0: so... I would, ha- I would have to say that to give you a very straightforward answer to that, I have not tried it, but given how it's bound, I would run a piece of packing tape along the exterior of its spine <laughs> just to make sure it stays together. As someone who's had it. some experience with improvisational toys.
2: I love it. I love that. I'm like, actually mm, looking at it right I now. Am. Trying to I'm figure holding out how it to in my hands like,
1: like. That's mm.
2: awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can see it. Okay. Yeah, anyway. So. This this is a, an educational book for kink sexuality and relationship presenters, which that in itself is fucking fascinating because we don't have anything and, and like thank that. You that for
3: going to the extreme lengths that you all went to, going out there, being the top educators, like like you guys are are the top sex educators. I would say in the U.S. for sure. Like you Aww. don't give yourselves enough credit, but like <laughs> yeah. you, you blew our socks off at you're every amazing. single place that we have taught at with you. Nobody can even close to come holding a candle to your classes as an art form. And I think that if anybody was to make this book, it had to be the two of you.
2: Totally. Aww. Well, um, you're so sweet.
1: Hey. Flattery will get you everywhere. We but you. Uh, we loved having you all, of course, contribute and interview yes. and because you are amazing educators. And Aww. part of what we really wanted to do with this was not have it be the Stefano and Shea show and really bring in a lot of different voices, a lot of different, you know, awesome educators with different perspectives, which is why the entire back half of this chonky book is interviews with folks including Emrys Midori, Princess Callie, uh, you both, Jack Thompson, uh, Jack Thompson a whole amazing list of awesome humans. uh, And so we just really wanted to incorporate a whole bunch of different perspectives.
0: I I also want to say, I mean, thank you for the incredible compliments. It's it. I mean, yes. Okay. I think I'm pretty good at what I do. I wouldn't say I think I'm the top. Cool. That's really impressive. I'm blushing. (laughs) Uh, It's a podcast, thankfully. So you can't see that (laughs) Uh, but I would have to say that when when we were working on this book, right? So the first two hundred and forty two pages of this book are, in fact, the Stefanus and Shea show. right uh, well, um, I mean, except really, actually, it was less than that. And this is the important part that I wanted to to note to people. Um Shea worked her tail off to get a lot of input from people in surveys and people on you know that we knew. And, w- and got permission to quote them. So I was doing the book design, the interior text book design. Uh, first time ever doing that. Perhaps mm-hmm. maybe that should not be a new job of mine. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. But it was really fun. It's rough. It was really fun to realize how many people had input that was as valuable as any rock star presenter's input could be. Um, and how important it was to insert it in the book. And then the other thing that I want to state is, and I said this at the book opening at Wicked Grounds, the uh, uh, virtual event we did, Uh was um, our name does not appear on the front of the spine. And that is because I would have to say we, we really believe that this book is not just ours, since more than half of the content has been able to be provided by people such as yourselves and other people who were surveyed and people who were interviewed. And like yourselves and others, and that's why we have, like, on the title page, the contributors that are listed. And we really wanted to make sure that people understood that we walked a path to get here, that others had walked before us. And as we were writing this book, people were changing that path and improving it already. Wow. So I I just really want to, like, take my hat off to all those things and all this work that, that Shay did to see to it that the level of people involved in contributing this book, that it wasn't just the Stephen Shea show? Because we certainly could do that, but that wouldn't be just as much fun, honestly.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this book really feels like community, like a community effort for the rest of the community. Like, it's just, it's amazing. And, you know, one of the things that that really strikes me is... Not only how it's needed, because it is a very specialty niche subject that we need, but the timing, because, you know, now with the pandemic... Uh, so many people are now teaching virtual classes. So many people who are students are wanting to learn. And, you know, so that's timely for people who are like, Hey, I want to step into teaching. Maybe I have the access now. I can do things virtually. But also on the flip side, this isn't just a book for educators. It's a book for students too, because now there's also a bunch of people, you know, going online, going on social media, like, hey, I'm an educator. And maybe they're not really delivering the safest or the best or the most accurate information. But all these new folks that are new to kink, they don't know how to parse out what makes a quality or ethical or, or what not educator versus not. So it's timely in that sense. And then I think the third, I guess, purpose is one of your, when the book dropped, one of the first reviews that was fucking amazing. Oh yeah, I know what you're was, going to talk
0: about. I just about Yeah, it was
2: from outside of, you know, because this is for kink, sex, relationship educators, you know, in that realm. However, it was, and and you know, after I finished talking correct me on the fine details, but from someone in academia outside of sex, you know, very like traditional teaching who was like, holy motherfucking shit. Like I studied this for a living. I teach this for a living and I have never seen a book about teaching so good, even though it's about sex and kink. And they were saying like, all everyone I know, all my students, like, it doesn't matter that it's about sex. This is valuable information that applies to any teaching any subject in any arena, whether you're a university professor, whether you're like, you know, I don't know, teaching Bible study. Maybe I'm going a little too far, but maybe not, 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 Um, but really any application. If
3: we could get somebody to do Bible study and teach the way that Shay does. So they have to be balancing on a chair, doing self bondage, (laughs) 10 feet off the ground while, while deflecting potential coming not insults but comments from the audience and stefanos all at the same time (laughs) while juggling with her nipples all at the same time and teaching a class then i'll I'll start maybe looking at the bible so
0: So, so i i would have to say that i'm i opened up this on my phone already because i figured you all would bring this up um it's the pedagogy and american literacy studies also known as pals p-a-l-s teachingpals.wordpress.com. This person lists lists themselves on Twitter as Greg Spector. And when we found this uh, whole deal, that this incredibly long review, honestly, I was like half in tears because I I was just like, I really cannot believe that somebody outside of our community picked this book up and then literally called out uh, in so many positive ways, like literally said, oh, by the way, Stefano and Shea do not use the traditional research methods of dinky dink and blinky blink, and, and, and but they never intended to. They never set out to do that. But here's what they did do: they blew my socks off because they talk about how to get paid better. They talk about um, uh, ethics. They talk about how you know he calls out the section where we talk about ethics, about how to teach, uh, oh, yeah. and 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 the power exchanges that occur. He literally talks about that. He was talking about. Uh, all this long list of things. But the one thing apparently he forgot to talk about that did appear on Twitter, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious, was some random academic person had tweeted that they were shocked by the honorarium that Harvard University offered them to, to come and do a speaking thing. And this dude tweeted a quote, a picture quote from our book. That says, don't let colleges fool you. They actually have money for this. Places like Stanford and Harvard actually have the money. And he, and, and he tweeted back at this guy and said, see, this is why you have to read these guys' books. They talk about this. (laughs)
2: That's amazing.
0: And I was like, this guy won't stop promoting us. I, I just, I, I'm, you know, he sent me a private message on Twitter. It's amazing. I just kind of want to buy this, you know, I don't even know who this gentleman was. Mm
1: Wow. You know, which is one wow. of the things that you all talk about in your interview also because I know part of why you know we wanted to interview so many people is there's plenty of areas that I recognize are not my strongest things and one of those is negotiating and talking about compensation and asking for money. And so that was, you know, one of the things we loved talking with uh, you both about because I know that you've you've got a system for that and even though it's still not easy uh, as you've talked about but looking at kind of the compensation question so mm-hmm. we appreciated getting you guys expertise on that topic
2: you know let's let's start there with with compensation because that's a, a a very hard point for people in the kink community especially and you know depending on what type of conference or sex positive store or sex positive center or you know whoever you're teaching for but i know a lot of students and people in the kink community that think if an educator is accepting money to teach or if let's say that, that's their career, like for us, we are career educators, that's how we pay our rent and make our money. Like, we would love to do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Um, But like, we also need to keep a roof over our heads. So we're combining the best of both worlds. We're doing something for a profession that we are passionate about and that we love. But a lot of folks in the kink community, they'll hear like, oh, so-and-so is trying to ask to get paid to teach their class. They're supposed to be in service to their community and do this out of the goodness of their hearts. And and the implication, sometimes covertly and sometimes not so covertly, is that if you are compensated for your teaching, in, especially in the kink community, that you are less than, or you are trying to pull one over, or you are only doing it for the money, or your information is not as quality. So let's go there. Let's bust <laughs> that myth. And let me know, like you know, what y'all have heard from the community. And then like, give us a reframe.
1: I do think that those expectations, I think that people like yourselves and Midori, I think really trail a was a trailblazer on this in terms of making this, uh, work that's compensated. I mean, we live in a capitalist, capitalist society and it just is what it is. And money is to a certain extent how we, uh, assign value to things. And we can wish that it was a different way, but like you said, you have to pay your rent, you have to pay your bills. And so if you're, this this work is really important the work that we're doing and Mm -hmm. people need to have the time to do it professionally the other side of that as well is the uh, privilege angle because if teaching about sex and teaching about kink is something that we're expected to do for free then only really people who are financially privileged will be able to do it so being Really advocating for compensation for this work is also a way to help bring diverse voices and you know folks who can't afford to just do this work for free.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, yeah. I, I think I think as far as the compensation more directly, because I mean, Shay hit on some really heavy points that I think are I think what has essentially cornered the King community into a level and type of presenters that we have. Because they're based in bound set of privilege. I mean, as an example, Shay and I, you know, we have children, right? We've never hidden yeah. this fact. We just don't talk about it because it's like you're at a kinky conference. No one wants to hear about your fucking kids. What? So, and I mean, and I love my kids. And if you have kids, we'll talk about them, but not in the dungeon because that's just awkward. But I, I've had people say to me like, you know, oh, my God, you know, you guys must, you guys must be making money because I know that you have children at home. Right. That, that have to be watched when well, you guys are at a three day convention. You know, you know, you guys fly out here, you get hotel rooms, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I would look at people and be like, I don't think you understand. Um, I'm paying for that child care. You know, Shane and I are paying for that child care. No one else is. Right. And we were told repeatedly by some people like, you know, well, you guys are worth far more than this. You should you should be asking for more. You should be doing more. And honestly, yes, I think that the the feel that we are in service to the community is something that is there. And I think that comes from in some ways and for you know I, I'm gonna only speak to my experience and one portion of it here, listeners. So I don't need someone going off on some tangent here thinking that I'm speaking for everybody. I'm not. My experience was that you kind of came up in the community, right? you know, you you served someone or some small group in the community. So you learned how the community operated. And like, it was at someone's house, as an example. It wasn't at a dungeon. It wasn't at a 10,000 square foot rented space. You know, when you help clean up, you helped fix up. People passed on knowledge to you. You saw someone playing, learning, you know, I mean, like doing fire play in a dungeon and you and you asked how and they taught you. And it was, it was meant to be a past skill. Mm-hmm. Okay. But as we became... More popular and more out in the public with it. We were able to develop these big conferences and all these things. And I think that's that old way in which things were passed as a skill to you, like by your friend or your mentor in the basement of their house, as an example, in their dungeon, that model just just stuck. People, mm-hmm. you know, we used to volunteer to go over to clean up someone's dishes at their house and clean up the yard so we could do a big fucking whip show in the back and, and, and have dirty sex in their living room, right? Yeah. Okay, so we would volunteer. I think <laughs> people looked at that and said, well, we can make this bigger. And I think as it grew, I don't, I'm sure there's people who have taken advantage of it. Let's, let's not pull wool over anybody's eyes and pretend it's all been one altruistic experiment. But the thing is, I think what you've talked about what other people have talked about and what Shay and I were able to highlight in the book because of the people before us like yourselves and Midori and Lee and some other people was that, you know, maybe it's time to talk about getting some money for this gig, right? Maybe it's time yeah. to start using this as representation. Maybe it's time to start being able to say to people, hey, you know, it's no longer just for the people who have the ability to just spend some extra free money. And so um, I, I definitely want to blow this myth. I definitely want to tell people, no, it's time, it's it's been time to do something about it. But I think that's where it came from is that there was this history at one point, and I think we just like in most ways in the world, you just kinda kept rolling with it. And you, right. you didn't notice that it happened. You know, do, and, and Do you then... all
3: mind if I add something to this? Go ahead.
0: Um so, I
3: think I've been a sex educator longer than, than all of us here. Yes. And when I was starting off, it was 1988, and we didn't have the internet. We didn't have large groups of people. The internet was even a brand new thing at that point. Like, we had bulletin boards and that sort of thing, which we did communicate on for sexual stuff. And not only was I a sex worker at the time at a prof- you know professional um, dom, but I had been involved with teaching the community in a lot of ways. And I only did it for money because what we had at that time, there wasn't the thought process of doing this for the community. There was either like Stefano said, you go to your friend's house that you're going to crack some whips and have a nasty, you know, pig fuck party like <laughs> yeah. later on in the day. Um, or you're getting a hotel room and renting it out. But what there wasn't was social media. What there wasn't was conventions. What there wasn't was large groups of people doing this. So when I started this, it wasn't at a dungeon when I started doing education. It was at the community teaching centers yeah. where you learned how to do like tango and salsa and how to Party. do voiceovers. Yeah. I taught <laughs> basic rope bondage and how to do negotiation and consent and classes on it. And I only did it for money and I didn't do it for the community. I did it for spreading the love of this thing that I know so that everybody can do it. Right. And it was, I wanted to be an ambassador of fuck. And it was <laughs> less about yeah. a privileged example of like, I'm so privileged that I don't need to get money and I can afford to help anybody. Not, not saying that that's what people were doing per se, Yeah, but there is a, there is an element of privilege that's involved when you don't have a lot and then you can give to somebody else. That's an amazing thing but when you don't have that you can't really look down on somebody for making a job out of it
2: exactly especially
3: when you are giving back but it's in a different way
0: well you know I, i think one of the things you guys have said as well and and i have said as well was it's important to to like do stuff and help people so like it's fine to give people discounted rates or even do it for free right um, but but yes. I believe mm-hmm. when we were doing Absolutely. the book opening, Sunny, I think it was either you or Ken that that's literally said, but let them know what you should be getting. Okay, so, so that they, yeah. So yeah. that was you, okay, so, so that they, under, <laughs> well, I knew it was one of you guys. Um, <laughs> I guess, you know, my brain's not 100% firing, I guess, but, and, and, I've, and I've quoted that before because I think it's important, especially now that things have changed and have been changing, um, that, you know, people understand that they're needs to be sort of a a minimum as it were to help out to 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 get us to a place um and and uh talking about what you're paid as you guys have said before and and i'm going to promote that damn idea forever uh is important In, in in a sense it's it's you know uh transparently talking about it i mean
3: Oh, my God, that's so amazing and so timely. So within the D&D tabletop role-playing game community, like in the past week, there's been a lot coming out that's very negative about companies like Wizards of the Coast and Paizo that make games like Pathfinder Mm -hmm. and Dungeons & Dragons. And so all of the content creators and the creative directors and everybody that's worked for these companies since the beginning are now posting what their yearly wage was and what company they worked for and what benefits Uh. they're getting because people assumed that they made... Hundreds of thousands of dollars when in actuality, even today, they're making 35k. Yeah,
0: they're paid like a penny a word or something. I mean, like,
3: but I mean, that is so important. Transparency is like Sunny was like, is doing so much with this, and we've just been talking about this how ethical and moral it is. Not only do you have transparency, but like when I do an event, whether it's my company, Weird Chicago Tours, or an event I promoted, I look at what the industry standard was for paying people, and I doubled it because i know that like no matter what formula i look at that between minimum wage the amount of effort time and education that people are putting into the classes if i'm hiring you i'm going to pay you twice what you're worth right right because by that time you might be getting what you're worth
2: Well, it's interesting. I heard a quote. I think it was yesterday. Gotta love TikTok. I hear all (laughs) this shit on TikTok. And I was like, it was one of those things where it's like all my hair stood up and my skin grew cold. And I was like, holy shit, they just called out my reality and the reality of capitalism. And, 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 And right now I think because of everything that's going on, we're all having a rude awakening when it comes to like our value, capitalism, what we're worth, what's recreation, what you know, and and, and the quote was something along the lines of capitalism relies on a large pool of insecure overachievers. <laughs> I'm and I body. was like, "Oh my God!" Hold on.
3: Hold on. There's just, nobody here like that. I mean, I don't oh know what you're talking uh, about.
2: We're all like in the King community. So every many of us. of us that who are educators are the insecure <laughs> overachiever. We want to give to our community. We want to do the best. We spend all these times making classes, but then we have imposter syndrome and are like, oh, "I shouldn't be charged." Should and be every one of them has either been community. put up a grade
3: or been in advanced classes or yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like everybody I know, they're you, you know, yeah,
2: so. Insecure oh overachiever. I, I feel like Take I, that with y'all I, who are listening, and you know. By this, so. yes, uh, I think, yeah. I think. <laughs> exactly. I've been called
0: yeah. out, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I you know, I think I I don't know how much longer we want to like sort of uh, quote unquote harp on this uh, particular topic, but keep but, going, but I do like think that it. you know a, a, as an educator when you're when you're working and teaching. And we talked about compensation. I, I will be very clear with you. The most money I ever made teaching was in fact when I stayed locally and we taught classes at our local play space where it where it was a ticketed twenty dollar uh-huh. entry, let's say, and half went to the venue and half went to me. Right? And so you could, you know, yeah. you could look at the class and be like, yo, there's fifty students. Awesome. That you know, uh-huh. and since incidentally um, Shane, I don't do it as a living like you and can do it. Right. Um, and we do have this extra privilege. What, what came of it that was really fun and I don't think anybody ever even knew we did this except the people that were working with us in the class. Because, you know, like we would teach classes and we would do demos and so we would need someone to help demo with us that wasn't us in some cases you know we we jokingly called them stunt bottoms that was our inside kind of fun name right and it was always you know people that we knew and we had negotiated with ahead of time etc in some cases just it was people that we were already like in play relationships with but what we did is we would take that money and we would pay them And, you know, and and some of them would be like, no, 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 I'm I'm fine. I don't need to be paid. You guys should keep the money. I know that you had babysitting fees. And I'm like, oh, we already took the babysitting fees and the parking fees out and dinner. Don't worry about that. Let's pay for your stuff. Right. You know, so I I think like the hardest part about trying to create compensation in in a sense is understanding as the presenter or educator, whatever words you want to use, um, to, to define yourself, is what is the basic end need that you're trying to accomplish, right? You know, are you in a state mm-hmm. where all you need is expenses? So then where does that extra money go? Now, in some ways, if if an event says to you, here's X number of dollars, right? And you need X minus a hundred break even, do you just take the $100 and pocket it? I mean, sure, why not? Do do you instead, because you're capable of this, look at the convention and demand or say nicely in some way that they take this extra X minus 100, right, and give it to another presenter that you know is making a living off of it? Like, but right. when you start asking people to do that, like, I'm not even sure what level of, like, I'm not saying we shouldn't be asking that, but that's just, that starts to create in my mind, making it a very, very different environment. And, and so I, what I want to say is, is if you're going to start slinging the word community around, not you and Ken, just the world. Okay, I'm not aiming this at you mm. guys. If you're going to start slinging the world community around and you're going to say you're part of a community and you're supporting and everybody's holding each other's hand and lifting each other up. Then actually pool that effing money, and then do it. Yeah. yeah. Now, as an example, I founded—I was one of seven people who founded a kinky-ass motorcycle club called Legion of Sin. Okay. And we we have a a kitty of money that we all support into, and when someone's in trouble, that kitty of money goes to that supports that person. Okay, and that's what in in my mind. If you're going to play this game of like community, right? Like, you know, if you're going to host a huge conference and you're going to tell me all about how community is, then just tell me how much money we're all splitting.
2: Right. Like, literally, put your money where your mouth is.
0: Uh, Right. I mean, or, alternatively, shut it down. Like, shut down your business records and be like, nah, bitches, I'm doing this to make dollar bills. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I'm going to run it like a private company. That's fine. I mean, that doesn't mean I have to support your private company, but at least I know that's your goal. Right, right. And, and And so, what always has driven me up a fucking wall is when you hear some producer or venue owner or some group of people start being like, "We're we're doing this to support the community," and then you find out they've been blowing smoke up your yep. ass.
2: Yep. Yep. And that happens um, a hell of a lot.
0: Well, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to call any particular space out because I don't want to—not uh, even that I know of one. It's just I've seen it happen in, in my time and in my history. And it always burns people. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, if you're going to compensate people, just start fucking making a record of it. You know, and if you have the ability to, like, put some money back in the system as a presenter, you only have a couple options. One of them is donate to some people's freaking Patreons. Yeah. Okay? There's a presenter you love that has a Patreon that you know makes a living off it and you happen to have extra dollar bills you want to donate. Go ahead and do it. hmm yeah, you know, I realize there's a better system, but that's a good start.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> anyway, and you
0: know, sorry, and, and Shay's over here looking at me like, wow. Uh, no, but
2: also <laughs> driving that point home, you know, and and we touched on this before that. The King community, as much as we like to say we're open and diverse, and we've got a diversity problem. And if we're not leveling Mm -hmm. the the privilege playing field when it comes to finances and money and compensation, we can't get those people who will bring different perspectives, diversity in all of its different forms to our community. And we're going to continue being insulated and, uh, you know, kind of without a clue, I guess. Is I mean, also, it's, nice it is 2021,
3: it. and to say that, like, you don't know any Black presenters doesn't fly anymore, because there's plenty Thank of you. People okay. yeah. Yeah. To Thank you. Okay, yeah.
0: Thank you. Shay has, and stated in the book, has helped book a bunch of presenters and knows a bunch of different presenters at different places and stuff. She has a very large experience with this. And so whenever we're on the conversation with a conference or with a big show, and we hear the... Uh, equivalent of, but I don't know any people of color. I don't know any not, you know, cisgendered white rope top dudes that, you know, or or whatever, right? Looking for a blowjob. Yeah. Right. right, right. Yeah, that too. You know, Shay will literally pipe up and be like, here's a spreadsheet.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And by the
2: way, Lola's list, um, Dirty Lola's uh, Lola Dex on Twitter. It is uh, a list of marginalized educators from, you know, different racial backgrounds, different abilities, all different marginalized or multiple marginalized categories. And the larger sex educators, there's kink educators, there's more mainstream vanilla sex educators. So kind of the whole shebang. I will put that link in the show notes for demographics outside of your goddamn stereotypical, like you said, like white male presenting rope top.
0: I mean I mean you're talking to us for Christ's sake. I mean like I mean like if if no one's seen a picture of us, I mean like I am your I'm six foot two in my boots, I'm six foot one on my own, I'm two hundred and thirty pounds, wide shoulders, big muscular dude. I used to have long hair, I was inches short of looking somewhere between Jesus and a Viking. Okay? I mean, you know, it, it, despite the fact that I'm, you know, queer as the day is long and suck a better dick than Shay, no offense, honey. <laughs> um, uh, wow. i mean I mean, called I here. mean, you suck a good know. dick, but I bet I do better. I, I saw their faces, but <laughs> I, I love you. But, I mean, like, people are always just like, oh, great, there's another, you know, there's another big, tall, middle-aged white dude teaching. Well, no shit. Of course you'd say that. And, and, and I don't feel called out by that. Right. I feel like that's, I feel like that's the right thing to say. But if we don't stand up and say something...
1: And, you know, think about how we can leverage that and share, you know, share the mic. And I, I, part of our perspective with this book as well is that I have done a lot of booking education, both for local venues, for national conferences, booking performers. And one of the things I would add from that perspective is if I only accepted performers or presenters from the people who applied from the people who said, yeah, I'm definitely good enough to be on a national stage and I should be spotlighted. If if I only took my folks that I booked from those people, mm-hmm. I would have a bunch of cishet white male doms. And that's who I would be booking because that's who really thinks that they you know, should be kind of elevated. That's who has the confidence right. a lot of times. And so it's a matter of from a producer perspective, really... Having to recruit and having to look at who's in your community and who's doing awesome stuff and who should you be reaching out to and kind of helping and mentoring and getting folks into like you do this really amazing thing. Let me help you develop a class so that you can teach that and really building in that way, I would say. And I want to also return...
0: Put what Shay said on repeat because I think <laughs> I think it's super important to hear Shay say things like, by the by, hey everybody, look and ask. Because basically, let's be honest, if you let the male ego run this thing, look where look where the world is already. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. I'm I'm just, just saying that you, hello. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Go ahead, and- Shay.
1: I also, I wanted to come back to what you were saying about vetting teachers, which I think is such an important point. Mm -hmm. And one of the quotes that really sticks with me from the book, we did a whole survey where we surveyed both people who present and people who take classes to get a lot of different community feedback. We had hundreds of responses and Tame Lioness, one of her comments was I know the best presenters because they're excited to show me what I can do, not to show me what they can do. Uh And that to me was so important because I think, uh, and Midori talks about this in her interview as well, that, you know, sometimes presenters, especially when we're talking about rope, but I think this can apply to a lot of different areas in the community uh, there's a big difference between, you know, showing off and doing a demo that's educational. Yes. And some people will like take pride in kind of cleaving the the realm of accessibility or, you know, making it so that like, here I am doing this amazing thing. Aren't I awesome? Uh, and, you know, being a good presenter isn't isn't about that at all. It's about making it so that the people that you're teaching can do it. And if you're teaching a class, this applies in you know, college classes, this applies in kink and sexuality classes. If if most of your class isn't succeeding at what you're teaching, a lot of times students will blame themselves. They'll say, well, I just couldn't learn that tie because I'm not very good at rope. I'm you know just not very good at polyamory and that's why I didn't understand what this teacher was saying. Like that's a failure. Obviously there's always gonna be, you can't reach everyone 100% of the time, but if, you know, and if you're a college teacher and most of your class is failing your class, you suck as a teacher. You're yep. doing mm-hmm. it wrong. And the same applies for kink and sexuality. If you're teaching a rope class and most of your class isn't able to do the tie that you're teaching, that's on you. You're doing it wrong. Yeah and i think that that's a really important point to me because people as attendees a lot of times will blame themselves yeah. but it's it's not on them we need to teach better you know
0: i mean okay so just about teaching in general not just kink stuff um i have experience teaching um uh, i was i was corporate trainer for restaurants um i taught martial arts for years i also taught fencing for years um i I taught people how to fucking make corporate pizzas on top of it, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, I developed I developed training. in. I, I, I was a trainer in the military for all kinds of things that probably now I can talk about because it's been long enough. But uh, Shay's point is it really important because one of my primary jobs when I was in the military, when I first got in, uh, I was a fucking cook. In what branch of okay? the service, That's what I, I mean, if I may ask. Oh, I was in the United States Air Force. Oh,
3: I didn't know that. I'm uh, an Air Force veteran, too.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, all, all my Marine friends laugh because they just want to talk about the chair force. No, I but those That's
3: wing nuts cool. unite. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> hey, man, you know, I... I that they're always like who was the first one's in i'm like the airplane's dickhead anyway um <laughs> haha anyway so it doesn't matter i mean i i am not a fan of war anyway but it was it was it was it was either join the military when i was 18 or end up in jail probably because i was not a smart kid but um it, it made me better but the point of where my story was is i was a cook for a living and i excelled at in the training process and i remember that exact thing where we were learning baking skills i went to an advanced you know, an advanced class on stuff, and I had this really incredible uh, teacher, and she was Scottish and uh, was teaching us how to frost cakes fast. Because, you know, you got to make, like, I don't know, 50, 60 goddamn cakes, and they can't look like crap, I mean, right? right? And so she was teaching us, and I was tearing up these cakes. And I mean, like, not in the way of, like, making them look pretty fast. I mean, like, spreading frosting and ripping the cakes up. <laughs> And, and and she came over and she was just like, okay, Airman, let's have a conversation. But she said it in a Scottish accent. I'll never be able to do. And she pulled me aside and spent 20 minutes with me to teach me a couple tricks that I wish I could remember exactly what they were, but they mostly involved hot water and a lot of patience. And uh, I could frost a cake in seconds when I got done with her. Mm. Now, Shay and I, in 2005, were at a conference learning rope in Chicago it used to be called Shibara. Oh yeah. And and we were there and we were trying to learn how to die, tie a single column tie. And the class we just couldn't couldn't do it. We couldn't figure it out. Uh, some of the people in the class were way too helpful. This this is a story in our book. Um, it's a story we tell in our classes. And um, I stopped Lee in the hallway outside of on the way into a play party or getting dinner and expressed my frustration and Lee put down their bags and grabbed the rope from us and gave us 20 minutes of their time and taught us how to tie a single column tie. Wow. And so neither of those incidences were the, were necessarily my fault for not learning them, Mm -hmm. but the way in which I was learning and the way in which they were taught were, did not mesh with my brain. Right. And so part of what also makes in my mind a good Presenter and a good of any field is understanding. Then that you didn't reach everybody, and then going backwards. Because I got to work with that Scottish trainer in the military for years, Mm -hmm. and she spent a lot of time trying to figure out what she couldn't teach with me.
2: Mm, Yeah, and
0: and I've had these conversations with other presenters. What am I not teaching right?
2: Mm -hmm. Holy
0: shit! Yeah, having that humility, having
2: yeah, yeah, knowing your. You know your strengths and your weaknesses and being able to read your students like all of that is so important which i want to kind of mesh that sentiment with the sentiment before about like the ethics and the vetting It's 2021, so we are fully accustomed to routinely upgrading our devices to the latest tech. You know, folding phones, Bluetooth, everything. But what about your vibrator collection? When was the last time that it saw an upgrade? Satisfier makes beautiful vibrators and air pulse stimulators with cutting edge technology. And unlike the latest iPhone, they're available at very affordable prices. Their new line of products is bluetooth enabled and pairs with their Satisfier Connect app. So, you can connect your device to Android, Apple, and iWatch. You can turn your phone into a remote control for solo play or give a partner access to your device from anywhere in the world. Use it to play with Power Dynamics by playing o control games or to reconnect intimately across the miles. The app also has Disappearing private messages, too. Some of Satisfier's newest products are the Sexy Secret Panty Vibe, it's great for discreet fun, or the Dual Pleasure that has internal stimulation and Air Pulse technology. And Satisfier is offering our lucky listeners 30% off any Satisfier. When you go to Satisfier.com and enter the code SUNNY30, that's S-U-N-N-Y-3-0 at checkout. Again, if you're looking for one of our favorite new devices, go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use the code SUNNY30 for 30% off. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you the situation that I see, and this applies to people who are educators or prospective educators or even students. So I see a lot of folks in the community, you know, whether that's kink or whether that's the larger sex positive community, who are really good at what they do. They maybe have had, you know, one on one mentorship sort of in, in casual mentorship relationships with people. And then let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to do that. So they get to the point where it's like, oh, I want to be like a full-fledged educator. I want to put together a class, etc. So I'll, I'll tell you two things I see. I see that really eager person who really wants to do it for the good of teaching And the things that they don't realize are you can be really good at what you do and maybe even really good at explaining something one-on-one to somebody. But there are a lot of other, I don't know, talents, abilities, skills, whatever, that go into teaching a larger class that a lot of people don't realize. They think, well, I know how to do X, Y, Z, so therefore I can teach it. And, and I'm not saying, oh, those people are, will be, are forever bad teachers. It's just like, no, there's some skills you're going to need to know. This is what you're going to need to, you know, brush up on. But I also see people getting into education who are doing it for the ego, who are doing it because they want to fuck more people. Who are doing it? You know, because <laughs> yeah. they oh. want to be like the, the leader and write it everything and have the spotlight on them. You see in the community. I hate to say it. I hate to you know pull the pull the cover off. But there are people in leadership positions, people who are educators who are also abusers, um, and there are, there's a lot of other um, ethics issues about teaching you know when people get so let's talk about that let's talk about the person who's maybe going into it for the quote right reasons that maybe doesn't realize everything they need to know and also the people that might be going into it for the wrong reasons and i think in this conversation it would be it's helpful for students to know some red flags to look for
0: so i want to let shay have a conversation uh, about expertise um and its skills and a lot of the questions that you just asked um but i do have one quick story about ethics that i will tell Mm -hmm. and then i'm going to shut up and let shay go on because this is a piece of material that i think shay explains amazingly and, and i i will ramble on it but here's my story i was hosting an event in san francisco in this uh Guy walks up to me, and we're standing near the bar, and he's like, oh, my God, you have such an amazing event, and da, da 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 and I was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, and he looks at me, he's like, I don't know how you do it, man. He's like, all these fucking hot chicks around, he's like, how do you do it, how do you do it? And I looked at him, and I was like, hey, are you a fan of The Matrix? He goes, yeah, why? And I said, remember that scene when Cypher and Neo are sitting inside the ship, and they're drinking that crappy-ass drink? And, and he said, yeah, and, and uh, Cypher looks over and says, yeah, man. I don't even see the code anymore. All I see is blonde, brunette, redhead, and they got a laugh out of it. I was like, you know what the difference between me and you is as a party host? I don't even see that anymore. All I see is a trash can that needs to be emptied, a creepy guy that's (laughs) talking about getting laid, drinks that have to be emptied, the toilet that's plugged up, and which person at the door is being a jerk. And And then after that, I get to see all my friends that are in the crowd. And he just stared at me, and I was like, maybe you should have taken the red pill.
2: <laughs>
0: okay. But, but I think, you know, I think that's, you know, uh, I always used to joke. I got into this for the fame. I didn't get into it for the money. That was always my joke, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't get into it because I wanted to get laid. Right. And we can talk more about ethics later. That's my funny matrix story about hosting parties. But I think, Shay, uh, really, I would love you to have this expertise conversation.
1: Yeah, move it. I. Definitely. We talk a lot in the book about the idea that if anything, getting into being a kink or sexuality teacher will mean that you get laid a lot less because Mm -hmm. there's so many thorny considerations there with regards to when you're adding additional power dynamics, Mm -hmm. how can you make sure that you're interacting with people in an ethical way and not taking advantage? Uh, And so there's a whole chapter. We have a kink educator code of conduct in the book that can help people develop their pathways for navigating those considerations. Uh, But it's definitely, you know, over the years, Stefanos and I started out being a lot more play sluts than we are now. It's kind of sad, actually, uh-huh. But it, it makes it so much harder because we, even if we haven't taught a class, obviously there's the very easy line of don't use a class to hit on your students. Right. That's a, a easy one. But just because I'm not teaching someone right now, or maybe they haven't been in my classes at all, doesn't mean that they don't regard me in a certain way because of me being a presenter, because of, you know, particularly in the rope community, uh, where I've you know written a self suspension book as well, and so really being aware of those dynamics mm-hmm. definitely gets in the way of the play that I do. You know, you worry about things like will will this person. Tell me if the tie that I'm doing doesn't work for their body, or will they feel like, oh, well, this person's an authority, so I should trust what they're doing? It's like, no, I want you to communicate with me. You're the expert on your own body. But making sure that people have that empowerment, I think, is an added complication. Uh-huh. You, yeah, yeah. You.
2: I don't know. I see a lot of educators. It's one of those things I hate to say, but it's true. The white male dom who's ah like, oh, mm-hmm. comes in and and teaches, and not always, but demographically or statistically, I tend to see that most often. It is a a power play or stroke to the ego to be a respected presenter. And I'll even say that like, yeah, it is to have people go, Oh, wow, you're so great. Oh, teach me that. Like, I'm a Leo. I'll admit it, you know, Um, but that's not (laughs) the only reason I do it. You know, I try to keep that balanced and ethical, but yeah, it's nice to get my ego stroked, but I'll see like educators coming in who are really Uh, attracted to that ego stroking, who also have a bit of frenzy. You know, we talk about new submissives or new dominance or new whoever, you know, like sub-frenzy or dom-frenzy where you're so excited to do the thing that it sort of clouds your judgment. It clouds maybe your ethics. It clouds how, uh, how many safety precautions you put into place, that sort of thing. So I'll see like new educators coming into the community and let's say they're teaching... Some really dangerous play like, oh, they're teaching needle play or breath play or something that that has a lot of that that requires a lot of training and safety precautions. And they just kind of throw all caution to the wind and they're doing it to dazzle. To show I can teach these edgy things. And really, it's like, but are you doing it ethically and safely with the full informed consent of everybody you're teaching? Or just in general, when you're a student and you're watching this, the reason it's so important is in our field, we don't have any clear cut credentials that can verify the validity of the people that we're learning from. Um. Mm-hmm. So you know, it it it's word of mouth. It's how popular are you? It's if you've published a book, and and you know, publishing books is great. But sometimes people can self publish a really kind of questionable book you that, know, that you I, haven't I mean, read. A you thing, know, but
3: like <laughs> but, right now there's a whole wave of people calling themselves sex educators that you made me informed of on TikTok that um don't have.
2: Right, Any at, clout exactly. At all, other sure. than
3: social media currency. So it's not like they're a nurse. They're not an right. EMT. They haven't been a martial artist. They and they're teaching blood jokes. So if you're just, I'm throwing this out there. If you're on TikTok and you're teaching blood jokes, don't. Yeah. Buy this book. <laughs> read the whole fucking thing, and then consider um, coming back and teaching and, a thing.
2: And also so, at the so same time, and I hate to cut you off, but I just want to add this in before fine, I forget. Fine. At the same time. I don't want to poo-poo people that don't have credentials because you can be excellent and not have credentials. You can start out as a content creator on social media and be fabulous. So my, I guess my bigger point is it's not as cut and dry as like, let me verify your credentials because you could have no credentials and be shitty. You could have no credentials and be great. Like we need other benchmarks to be able to evaluate the people that are teaching us. That's where I'm going. Okay, now go. We're all talkers. This is hard. I
0: know. And Noah, hey, Ken and Shay, yeah, you you guys are really fucking quiet compared to Sonia and I. Let's be honest. (laughs) So, you know, I'm like, here's Shay, talk about this. And then she talks for like five minutes, says everything I could say in 30. And then, so it sounds like I'm over here dominating the conversation. I apologize. But uh, a real quick credential check for you. Um, you We talked about the edgy teachers, right? The people who come in to teach something edgy and look cool. Yeah. Yeah. we talk about this in the book. Uh, you know what the hardest class to teach is? Huh. It's it. It's not uh, blood chokes six oh one. It's not uh, flying suspension transitions with six partners on a mobile. Um, <laughs> it's 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 not the double flogger fire kick super backhand. Uh, you know super dazzle uh, heavy impact play. None of that shit. It's not needles. It's not scalpels. It's it's none of that. It's 101 classes. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's how to teach the very, very basic entry-level classes. And I think, in some ways, one of the ways in which to evaluate someone is to look at the way in which they've taught beginner classes and the way in which they handle teaching these sort of basic questions that people have. Uh And, And if if you're a new educator and you're trying to figure this out and you're like, well, how hard can it be to teach spanking anyway? You're just up, down, up, down, up, down. And I'm like, oh, I know it's up, down. And there, I mean, I don't teach a spanking class. Let's be clear. Um, but I, I have taught many people how to spank a butt in my time, uh, and how to flog a butt, etc. But it's not just up, down. It, it, and if you're looking at it because you want to demonstrate this new cool thing, um, Teaching is a rush, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Te- teaching is exciting. Nothing. I mean, I love getting up in front of a small or a large crowd and showing them a thing, and teaching them a skill, and then getting them to do the skill with me, and watching their their o oh faces, uh, not their sex sexual o oh faces. The oh shit, wow, I just did it face.
2: Right. <laughs> um, um, you know, I, like
0: wow, I can't, I can't believe I did that. I, I, I mean, like I remember teaching uh how to use a a signal whip or a signal tail or a mini bull whip depending on where you come from to people right and and I remember watching all these people like trying to fling it in the air and do circus cracks and triple cracks and do this and do that and I and I remember like that's cool right and seeing them do this and that and I just and someone's like how do they do that and I was like do you have one of these whips and they're like no and I'm like well I do I have four hold on and I pulled one out and I was like, put your hand here, put your other hand here, and move this hand forward and just go real slow. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, wow. And I was like, just keep practicing that. And so we practiced for 20 minutes. And they're like, I- I've never been so accurate. Now, I'm not saying I'm a rock star teacher here. What I'm just saying is I slowed everybody down. Right. And I think that's the other thing. Um, when Shay and I first started teaching, and when Shay and I develop a new class, you know the first thing we fuck up on?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We try to put everything into that fucking class. Oh, <gasps> oh, everything. oh
2: my goodness, yeah. Oh, my God.
0: We, we, we used to teach a class on stapling. What was it? Stapling and needles or something. I can't remember. We shoved it all together because we're like, well, all the safety's the same. I mean, these are just separate, slightly different skills. And, you know, 90 minutes later, we could not get all of it in there. We, we have classes on D and like, you know, this like quote unquote DS uh, uh, stories or whatever. Can we, it used to be one class and now it's three. Um, you know, so we, the other thing is like, look at how a presenter handles information and at what speed they're expecting you to absorb it. Uh, And because I think a presenter who's given themselves some opportunity, whether they're new at it or whether they're really experienced at it, can take a step back and see, like, you talked about reading a class. In addition to that, it's reading your ability to give that material. Right. Just because it's up, down, up, down for spanking doesn't mean there's a lot of subtleties that go into where, how, which direction, which level of force do you rub, do you not rub, et cetera. Right There's a lot of subtleties you can emphasize in. Uh And I think looking at someone's content and how they're presenting the amount of it is also indicative of learning how to teach. And so if you're a new teacher and you're doing this like this, it's okay. God knows we all still do it. Take a step back. Go slow. That is is such good advice.
3: Uh Um, And one of the other things I might add to folks as a metric for taking a look at is if an older experienced teacher is good. Are they adapting their course material are they doing Uh re-education are they um discovering what they did was wrong like when you all look at your first classes and take a look at your notes uh, I like Sonny and I cringe. We take a look at the oh shit God. that we said five years ago. And then, like, it's stuff I would never want to point out to the general public. But in all transparency to American fuckers and everybody, every one of us used a wrong word. Every mm-hmm. one of us gave bad information, but we thought it was the correct information at the time. So if you have somebody that's giving obviously erroneous information because they're old and they're refusing to look up what the current trends, habits, Or even courtesies would be, I think that's a good indicator of, are they really a good educator? And I want to throw in one last thing, um, and that is a third type of person. So we talked about educators. We talked about people that like to be educated. I also want to throw in there for just a second. The hosts or producers of an event, and I want to tell everybody, and I'm going to call somebody out here, but this is a call out as a gold standard.
2: Okay. I, was, uh, yeah, I just gave him the, the stink look.
3: Eye My eyes
2: so. went all like, oh, shit, where are we going no, here? Not, Am I going to have so, to edit this out? So,
3: so, <laughs> so Barak <Beric> and Shiva <laughs> are what I consider the gold standards for hosts and producers for a couple of reasons. Number one, they attend other conferences. They actually pull people and ask them, as an educator, what are the things that you liked about this conference? And they consistently are adding, adapting, and changing that. Not only are they, you know, like one of the first people that were LGBTQ friendly, diverse, everything else. They paid more than expected, compensated for things I never expected them to, and most importantly, gave us a ticket to attend the next conference. So, And and a lot of people might be like, well, why is that a big deal, Ken? Well, as somebody who attends a lot of conferences, and this goes off something Shay said, we don't get to play. I'm either scared to play because I don't know people. I'm afraid that I'm going to do something wrong and be judged. um, Or I'm just not intimately close with the person that I wanted to do that with. But if you are hosting a conference and give somebody uh, who's teaching at your conference, a ticket to the next one that lets them come back and have the ability to play or learn from other educators. Yeah. Presenters. They also are really good at mixing and matching presenters together Mm -hmm. to get the right feel for a particular conference. So what experiences, either good or bad, have both of you had, and I wanna hear from Shay, cause just because she hasn't talked.
0: I know, <laughs> she needs to talk more.
3: <laughs> as a producer, what do you like to do for your events?
1: As a producer, I think for my events, compensating people is incredibly important, and I can never pay people as much as I, I wish I could. I try to be as transparent as I can, and, really letting people know, here's where the budget went, here's how much paid the rent, here's how much paid the insurance, here's how much paid for my truck, and here's how much is split amongst the performers, educators, staff, etc. So really having that transparency, I think is important. And uh, I think it's, I like setting really clear expectations mm-hmm. uh, around what people are expected to do as presenters. For example, this has become a lot more common, and we touched on it a little earlier, uh, teaching from both the giving and receiving perspective is so important, and really setting the expectation that, you know, if you're teaching a partnered skill, and some skills that we teach are purely solo, you're teaching a class on masturbating, you're teaching a class on self-suspension, you know, then for sure. But if you're teaching something that involves interacting with other humans, you need to be teaching... Both or all of those perspectives Mm -hmm. and really setting the expectation that, you know, if you're tying in a class and someone's doing the tying and someone's being tied up, that person who's getting tied up is presenting also, and they need to probably half the people in the class are mostly interested in that perspective. And what can you teach from that? And I would say, you know, even though both Stefanos and I are switches, it's really shockingly easy to write entire classes that just address the giving perspective. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that, there's just so much more that's really easy to grasp. Here's how you do the thing. Here's how you tie the tie. And it takes a little bit more thought to, okay, as the person in the tie, what are the things that I'm evaluating? What are the safety things that I'm watching for? How can I skillfully communicate with my partner the things that I need? And those types of skills are sometimes a little bit harder or less intuitive. So really elevating those skills, yeah. I think, is incredibly important. Yeah,
2: One thing that I, I have said a lot, and this is you know the basis of the book that I'm writing, uh, one of the things that Ooh. I've observed in... You know, both kink education and larger sex positive, you know, relationship kind of education um, is we tend to overemphasize the technical or hard skills. So I'm going to teach you a class on how to tie these ties or how to flog this way or how to spank or how to blah, 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 blah. And we underemphasize the soft or strategic skills like all the humaning behind Mm -hmm. the thing that we're doing and the negotiation and the feelings and the, you know, all that messy human stuff that gets in the way of what we're doing when we're performing those technical skills. So let's kind of close on that because I think like we're pretty much saying the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. How, you know, let's say there is a new teacher who oftentimes when you're new, you're like, I'm going to teach the thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Give us... I don't know, a couple tips, pointers, thought points, whatever, on how we should also be focusing on incorporating those softer skills.
1: I think, so one of my top tips for folks, especially when they're starting, is to create really clear goals for your class. And really know like what is it that you want those key take-homes to be. People are gonna remember hardly anything of what happens in a 90-minute class. They're not gonna re- be able to regurgitate 20 bullet points. People don't remember bullet points. What people remember is stories mm-hmm. and thinking about how you can make it personal and how can you bring this to your own experience. So, thinking through kind of memorable content organization is not necessarily something. When I first started teaching, and Stefano's can attest, oh. I'm definitely a like vomit all the facts onto people, mm-hmm. and then I feel like I've really done my job. Like I've vomited fifty gazillion things of everything I know about this topic into your ears.
0: And I used to sit there, and, and I'm the storyteller, as you could tell by this podcast, and um, <laughs> and I would, Shay would teach a skill, and I would give someone an experience that we shared or one of us shared from one perspective or another and then Shea would technical, 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 technical and then I would be like we used to have a joke in our class, story time with Stefanos <laughs> and, and and Shay and whoever was uh, you know, stunt bottoming, as we like to jokingly call it, would run up in front of the class and sit down like two little kids with their hands on their knees looking at me, Aww. you know, you know, to sort of draw attention to the fact that I'm going to tell a story that's going to relate to these technical skills.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I used to feel like, oh, my gosh, Stefano spent five minutes telling that story. Do you know how many facts I could have vomited at people in five minutes? Oh, my God. And yes. that would have been a lot better use of our time. <laughs> and then I would talk to people after the class. And you know what? They're not going to remember the facts that I spewed at them what they remember is the story that Stefano's told and I think it definitely oh go ahead it it took it took a lot of time for me to learn that
0: I I would say like don't make your class all story time though I mean like I think, I mean, people do remember facts, and, and, and they remember those facts because of the context in which they were given them. Right. Okay, so so while Shay's facts, and Shay likes to be like, oh my god, I didn't do a good job. No, you did. And and as we grew as a presenter team, we, we were able to incorporate those facts with the stories, and Shay felt uh, more empowered to tell her own stories, and lay her own facts in but the other thing i would say to you is especially for accessibility purposes which uh, uh, is um, do make an outline do make a list of those facts and do make them available to people mm-hmm. because because it's important that people have facts i mean you know it, this one time at band camp story as cute as it is uh you know You still need some facts.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sunny, in the book you talked about the, you know, whole parts whole approach to teaching, which relates to, if you would want to maybe quickly talk about that, but I think it's so important in terms of organizing your content and making it memorable for people. Yeah,
2: whole parts whole, like really nutshell, is the reason that this is so important to me is I'm neurodivergent, so I get distracted if I don't know where we're going I just think maybe we're going down this road. Maybe we're going down that road. Ooh, that that person said a cool <laughs> word. Let me think about that word. It's for literal five minutes. torture. Wait, where are we? It's literal <laughs> you know, so, torture. <laughs> so, like, how I realized I learned this way, and then I realized like, oh, this is a teaching modality. Is you cover the big picture very quickly. Like, this is where we're going. This is where we're pacing. This is, you know, if it's a technical skill, maybe like, let me show you this tie that we're gonna do start to finish, just so you can see the whole thing. Okay, now we're going to go back the bulk of the classes, we're going to break down the parts and learn it together. And then we're going to finish up by all doing the whole together. So like, if I see the big picture first, and I know where we're going, that's everything. And you know, you know, what you were saying, and the different Teaching modalities and knowing the different ways people learn, it's really a testament to that good balance of facts and organization and edutainment. You know, because we are yeah. teaching about sexuality, especially those one-on-one classes where we have people, maybe this is their first class. Maybe they're a little nervous. Maybe they're still working through their sexual shame. Maybe that is so disarming to to get people laughing, to make it entertaining, to, you know, put their defenses down and feel relaxed enough to be able to then absorb those facts that you're also giving them at the same time. Um, to me, that's like everything
0: you know I, I i would say also <clears throat> about that from from the like presenter point of view the the teacher point of view uh it, it, it demonstrates a joy that you have in the subject material when you can teach it demonstrate it tell a story about it and even almost make fun of it
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and and the reason why i say that is because that those are some of the like the key elements to letting people relax about a new thing. Like when I teach a one-on-one class at some local sex shop or something, the first thing I do is congratulate people for even being in the store.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right, right. I'm
0: like, I'm like, the courage it took you to get this far. Some of you are might be saying to yourself, "Shit, I found this online and it was no problem." But some of you are in this class and we're thinking, "How long did it take to talk to your partner about it?" Yeah. And then you kind of can make fun of it. A little bit without making them feel bad, mm-hmm. right? Because you're acknowledging that they're already nervous. And I think these are important parts that you bring up as an entertainment. because like the 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 pals uh, review talked about that yeah. about like, oh my god, college professors and academics could learn to make their classes fun. No wonder why students go to sleep in a one-on-one class. You know, he didn't he didn't write that exact thing, but it was hinted at. Right. And and I'm like, yeah, you know, and because people are like well, it's serious education time and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, well, are you having fun though? Like as a presenter and, 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 and as a student or as a listener, are you having fun? Cause if you're not, I think maybe we should adjust that. Cause to me, it should be having some fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of one of the things I tried to do in the book is look at a lot of different research and, you know, facts, like intuitively, facts, facts, uh, science, <laughs> science, uh, and one of the things you know that we that you can show in the research is that if a presenter or teacher is clearly passionate about something, that actually increases people's learning. It makes the students, um, you know, they're more attentive and they will learn better from someone who is clearly, you know, having a good time with it. Someone who's passionate. And so thinking of ways, and it's not always intuitive to make that uh, visible to your class. Um, You know, as you said, there's a big difference between uh, teaching something and doing something. Mm -hmm. And part of what we wanted to do with this book as well is take, you know, some of Stefanos's experience making porn, for example. You know, it's not intuitive to people how to do a live sex demo. There's a lot of considerations there. There's a lot of things you have to do different to do this for a class so that people can see it than you would do in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's more similar to, you know, creating porn. Uh, but thinking about the extent to which, you're interested in performing versus interested in teaching because those are also separate skills Mm -hmm. and separate motivations and uh just all of those all of those things thinking about how to organize content in a memorable way uh, one of my favorite sections of the book is uh, pages. I realize maybe you shouldn't have like favorite uh, favorite parts of books. I don't know. You my you favorites do. are you have favorite kids. you have favorite parts? Don't <laughs> <laughs> fly. You know, favorite dogs. I don't know. Yes. Uh, so pages uh, forty five to like forty seven. I talk about memorable content organization. And talking about things like numbered steps, alliteration, creating acronyms, things that are not necessarily intuitive, Um, you know, like as a question for you two, like how did you learn to tie your shoes? How did someone teach you how to tie your shoes? Oh, God. Uh, do you remember?
2: I, I, Well, that's part of my neurodivergence was I didn't learn how to tie my shoes until way later because it was always a problem and it caused me anxiety. That's why I don't do bondage. So, Ken, why don't mm-hmm. you answer that
1: question? You have a normaler brain. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. And the question was, do I remember how I was taught to tie my shoes? Yeah. yeah do yeah. you
1: remember how you were taught? Did somebody teach you about... You know, a technical knot. Did they say uh, this is a square knot, and you're going to yes, create a bite? Actually, and- it was like my mom was very Wait, take technical with things. Loops and tie like, them I, I, I knew That's what, what I I a know.
3: penis was before I knew what a cock was. She had
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: shoes to cocks. What happened? Uh- <laughs> It's Stephanos and Shay, why are you even asking that
3: question?
0: Yeah, Yeah. hello, hello, hello. We're talking about using little tiny ropes to tie something up. Obviously, it went to cock bondage, just like that. Yes,
3: but my mom told me the technical name of it and then did a couple of skill exercises. I caught on to things very quick, and I learned how to tie my shoes quickly.
1: Yeah. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. It's it's all good. I think people learn different ways. A lot of people will remember, okay, I was taught something about making the bunny ears and the bunnies go around the tree and then, you know, the bunny, like all those little stories that you learn. Uh, I remember, you know what I mean? Learning like little uh, mnemonics or learning little No, my mom wasn't that cool. No.
0: So so I have a a question for you guys and I'm going to put Shay on the spot here for this one. Does uh, anybody remember their prepositions
2: no i was bad <laughs> and i don't remember any of that shit
0: so so to give you an example of mnemonics if, if shay will indulge me i'm going to invoke my my power exchange relationship with shay here if she'll let me um shay have you ever forgotten any of your prepositions
1: right so this is our example of uh Kind of memorable content organization. You can, you can and I'm them. not saying that people should set their contents to uh, music, but Ooh. just to say it is one of those tools that is very memorable. So I was taught prepositions in elementary school with a preposition song. And so I can still recite dozens of prepositions to this day because the song was so incredibly memorable. And do I use it in my everyday life? I do not. Uh, but you know, I I know a lot of prepositions because of this song, which I believe Stefanos wants me to sing.
0: I would just think it would be <laughs> fucking awesome if you would. That but would I be understand, I understand you might not want this on recorded media. I have
1: I have a terrible singing voice, but they can always edit it out. So.
0: I mean, or or we could like save it for like mm-hmm. some side content or something. <laughs> but yes, um, but I mean, I would love Shay to sing the song, but I'm not, I can't make her because um, I'm not a fan of singing in public either. So. <laughs>
1: But the so the preposition song uh, goes with on four after at by in against instead of near between through over up according to around among beyond into until within without upon from above across along towards before behind below beneath beside during under. Wow! <laughs> so.
0: That is literally every preposition in the English
3: so, language. So, <laughs>
1: prepositions. I, I think there's probably more prepositions I mean, okay that, but that's quite a few of them. Yeah, all right. And, that's amazing. Uh, and
3: by the way, my mom know. taught me that by giving an example of Schrodinger's cat when I was a kid. So, Schrodinger's cat is trapped <laughs> in this box. The prepositions approach the different... Directions from the box which Schrodinger's cat is in.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: So is the
3: cat on top of the box, inside the box, outside the, you know, like...
1: Yeah, yeah. That's also a brilliant... See, I think that's a great example. I'm thinking about how I was taught the cat,
0: but not Schrodinger's cat. I mm -hmm. uh, I was taught the cat, what can a cat do?
1: And I mean, thinking about examples like that is just a, you know, way, how can we make our content memorable for folks? And... You know, not like I said that you necessarily want to put it to song, but there's a whole there's a bunch of research into what's called the rhyme as reason effect, which is to say anything that rhymes is more memorable, and people also perceive it as more true, which is to say, use this power for awesome, because there's also ways that you can kind of be manipulative with this stuff. So use this power for awesome. If we think about terms like woes unite foes. People will perceive that as more accurate than if you said uh, misfortunes unite foes or something that doesn't rhyme, right? So it's thinking about how can we harness that when we're teaching. And I think that there's ways we can use stuff like alliteration, things like putting really specific framing or creating little rhyming steps for something complicated that we're teaching. Like one of the examples
3: that we use is our rules of blowjob club.
2: Yeah, and I was going to say, my, my latest one,
1: I agonized over this for days,
2: like, as I'm writing the book, the, the book I'm writing on, um, or the chapter I'm writing on consent, I'm like, I want to make a, a cute little, like, acronym to remember. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a self-analysis tool of, like, to... Um, figure out if there are any factors that you're not seeing that are skewing you or your partner's ability to consent. So I agonize. I, I, I like talk to Midori. I'm like, Midori, what do you think of this? I talk to my kids. I talk to Ken. Like, for days. My uh, thing is possum. It's P A S S M. So now we have a consent possum, which is power, and Balance, autonomy, safety, and trust support and motivation. Possum. So
1: yeah, I that's like the best it. I could come up with. Acronyms <laughs> are such an amazing tool, and just they are. You know, it definitely took part of. I, we created this book to be basically the book that I wish I'd had when I started presenting because I definitely did not think of you know, creating these. Memor- memorization tools or things like this when I first started. And so hoping to, you know, as they say, experience is the best teacher, but tuition is very high. Mm-hmm. And so we're just hoping to give people some of those tools and help with them uh, having that experience without having to uh, learn it all the hard way. Yes. Yeah,
0: we're, try- we're trying to lower the tuition price. Let's mm-hmm. be clear. Um, <laughs> like, you know, but I... I, I would encourage people that you know whether you're going to read the book because you want to try to evaluate what a good presenter is, or whether or not the information that you're receiving is is helpful, you know, or whether or not you want to be a presenter. I, I would I would say that you know in a way there's a lot of thoughts in this book that are illuminating to what is happening around you and people's opinions about teaching as well. Mm-hmm that are in here it's it's not just a purely how-to book uh mostly because there is no particular in my opinion 10 step 12 step way to become an educator or presenter mm-hmm. be- because there is no certification right you know you don't need to have been a corporate trainer or uh a, a, an etc cetera, et cetera to become an educator inside of the communities that this book is aimed at, you know, it, some of it is self-evaluation. Some of it is thinking back to yourself. Like Shay and I constantly would say to ourselves, what is the thing that we wish other people knew about this topic?
2: Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And that's, that's not to say we're teaching something so new and so different that no one's ever heard it before. But if we're going to teach a class on, you know, because we do teach in the community a lot. Right. So we're going to teach a class on needles. What are some of the things not everybody teaches on? What is or you know, what is something we can present that is a little bit uh, illuminating to what's going on around it? Or as an example, if we're going to teach a real 101 class, what can we give people access to? that we didn't have when we learned.
2: Right. Absolutely. So I think the best lovely.
3: advice was stick with a pointy end is the best Show. advice I've ever <laughs>
2: so In oh, all seriousness, so this,
3: no, t- this has been just such oh. an amazing conversation. And to wrap up, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, and the book. And the book.
0: Okay. Um, well, we have our webpage, right? Uh, which is stefanosandshay.com. You know, Could you spell out the word? Okay. Uh, uh, I have to admit that at this exact time in October, whatever date it is, uh, the best place to buy the book uh, would be from wickedgrounds.com. Okay. Oh, they're amazing. And the reason why I say that is because uh, it's an autographed copy then. If you buy it from Amazon, by the way, uh, you can buy it from them. You get it from Amazon, no problem. It'll be shipped to your doors for as fast as they can ship books to your door. And I have no problem with you buying it. it you know, Obviously, we make a little bit of royalties and things like that. But if you're looking to have an autographed copy or even an inscribed copy, uh, an autographed copy you can get from wickedgrounds.com. You can also contact Shay and I through our website or on Twitter. I'm Maestro Stefanos. And you're supposed to say your Twitter now. Yeah, um, there you go. Shay Blondie. Uh, I will happily answer people. Uh, StefanoShay at gmail.com. <laughs> um, and we will be happy to personally mail you books.
1: But yeah, Wicked Grounds is amazing yeah. local kink coffee shop, and you know we get the books like talking about price transparency. Where our author copy price is about seven dollars per book. That's like what I pay to just get them printed and get them to me.
0: Dollars and forty some cents. We discovered last night. Sure. So 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 the book on Amazon is fourteen ninety five on Amazon prices. We pay about seven dollars and forty cents to get the book. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and we, our
1: Amazon royalties are—I uh, mean, not very much. Right, it's just like maybe We're, a dollar a book or something. Yeah. That's oh, yeah, way yeah. more than uh, I've ever
0: gotten uh, any of my books. Usually,
2: yeah. I got like a okay, I mean,
1: dollar a book. Don't, yeah. or yeah,
3: I mean,
0: <laughs> actually, Shay has no idea. It's much less than that. All, all <laughs> yeah. of my Literally. all
3: have made me hundreds of dollars, maybe tens. But Maybe tens of dollars. Tens of dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: So, so I mean, so what we do then is we then uh, we made a deal with Wicked Grounds. Uh, so we we buy the books for about seven dollars and forty cents, okay, mm-hmm. and then and then we sell it to Wicked Grounds for like eight dollars and ninety one cents and ninety one cents. I, think, <laughs> I don't know how we came to that arrangement, because um, it, 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 it parses out shipping and stuff. Yeah. and then they and then they resell the book for fourteen ninety five. Nice. Now, now to be clear with you, if you contact me directly on Twitter, I'm going to sell it to you for twenty bucks, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, because I'm, you know, it'll be an autographed copy, I will thoughtfully sit down to think about how I can describe it to you. And I will hand insert it into an envelope and drive my ass down directly <laughs> to the post office to drop it off. So, yes, I'm raising the price to do so. Right. Um. But, you know, also it means that you get to, you know, PayPal me money for that, I think. I don't know. I. I, whatever you I. You get to
1: know. it took a ride on Stefano's motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. I took a ride on
0: my motorcycle. I mean, uh, but the new joke that I have is, if you'd like, I could I could make it a tainted book. You can figure out what that oh. means.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, you know. Uh,
1: anyway, uh, I anyway, did not yeah. Know that that was on
0: offer. Oh. Yeah, it's offered. Um, you know, uh, StefanoSchei dot com. My StefanoS on Twitter, SheaBlundy. On Twitter, uh, I'm, I'm @Stefanos on Instagram. Not that I'm super excellent at a lot of these. I would, I would sooner just uh, let you DM me on Twitter or give out a phone number you could text. But uh, I don't have one of those phone numbers yet.
2: Oh so, yeah. That's a whole new level. Thank you so much, though. So, you know, we love y'all. And uh, we definitely would love to have you back to talk about some of the things that you uh, you teach about. You know, there's so much um, from rope to, you know, predicament play to yeah. God, so much. So edge play, like, edge play. Yeah. We had such a great so conversation
1: much. about edge play on mm-hmm. your uh, other On your Patreon, I think it was, right? Oh, yeah. And that was fantastic. We would love to talk with you all again, and yeah. Yeah, good times. Well, until then, for the American fuckers
2: listening along, all those links that we talked about will be in our show notes for this episode. And stay tuned. If you're not subscribed to American Sex Podcast on whatever player you're listening to, hit that subscribe button. So the next Do it. time we, we the have Do Shay it. and Stefano-san, Do it. <laughs> you will know immediately. And until next time, you both, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Love you guys. Bye.
3: You. Bye. You. See you later.